Hello, everyone. This is Jeffrey Kerr. The 95th Academy Awards are almost here. They'll be taking place on Sunday, March 12th at 8 p.m. on ABC. To prepare you all for Hollywood's biggest night, Jack Mahanes, who we should add is now a colleague of mine at Gold Derby. He's written a few articles himself, and I'm sure more will come in the future. He and I will be going through all 23 categories and give some quick predictions for who or what we think will win. Although, keep in mind that at the time of this recording, the Writers Guild of America hasn't taken place yet. They're taking place tonight, actually, so that's not going to be too helpful when we get to the writing categories. But what we discussed there today will probably be dated by the time you're listening, but Anyway, are you ready to begin, Jack? I am. Thank you so much for having me on the show once again. Ain't no problem. I want to get the three toughest categories out of the way, which are the shorts. So, best animated short film. Okay, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse from Apple TV Plus is currently out front. I did just put a number one in my predictions. Now, do you agree with that or do you have something else? No, I agree with that. It won the BAFTA, and I think that it's going to um, just win here. Josh Parm of Next Best Picture did some updates in his predictions earlier today, and okay, he's proven to be one of the best Oscar predictors on Twitter in recent years, well, specifically in some categories, which we'll get to later, but in Best Anime Shorts, he's actually predicting My Year of Dicks. And boy, would that be hilarious if uh, that were to happen just to hear, and the Oscar goes to My Year of Dicks. <laughs> Just want me to you know, not think about too much and just go with the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. Plus, as Chris Beach and McGold Derby keep saying, when it comes to short categories, specifically animated, well, go with the one with the animals. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a very good point. Well, although it didn't happen last year, but anyway, something like Bear Story. Um, I don't think that I don't think that was uh, favored to win, but yeah, no, then he has a point. Uh, yeah, or or Robin Robin last year. Yeah. Best documentary short film. The Gold Derby Odds has The Elephant's Whispers out front. I do have it winning. How about you? I have it winning too. Although Josh Parham is predicting Stranger at the Gate. The shorts are not really like the, what I'm the best at predicting, but it's just, I feel like sometimes it's just mostly best to, when you're not sure, just go with the one that's, you know, leading or at least has you know maybe like um sort of story behind it where it's like oh my gosh dear basketball this is a chance to give kobe bryant an oscar like i remember that year when you know kobe bryant was working the campaign trail he was hit the oscar lunch and i was like there's no way to bet against dear basketball to win the documentary short at the oscars well yeah as for best live action shorts now i'm actually i'm gonna try to catch up with all the nominees in this category later in the week but any case i do have the one from disney plus produced by Alfonso Cuon, Le Pupil, I hope I pronounced that right, out front. How about you? I have it too, because Alfonso Cuon is such a favorite with the Academy. Yeah, I I'm just going to stick with that, though. The An Irish Goodbye could win. That's the other one that I think you know is in with the possibility, but I think it's uh, Le Pupil. I, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, yeah. Although Josh Palmer is actually predicting an Irish goodbye, albeit that was what he put in when nominations were announced. Yeah, that's one of the categories he hasn't updated since, but we'll see. Now on to an easier category, best visual effects. Well, just like with Dune last year, this is pretty much one of the biggest locks of the night, if not the biggest. Avatar the Way of Water all the way. It's no contest. No contest. <laughs> It's winning. This category is probably going to be the biggest log next two years as well. Doom Part 2 next year and Avatar 3 two years from now. So thanks a lot, filmmakers, behind those movies, because you've made our jobs easier in this category. Absolutely. Now on to Best Original Song. Now, Natu Natu has wins from the Golden Globes and Critics' Choice. 
It's looking good to repeat here at the Oscars. Although given that RRR isn't nominated anywhere else, it could be vulnerable. I still have it out front. How about you? I agree with that. I think there are two uh, possible upsets in this category. I think um, Lift Me Up from Black Panther Wakanda Forever, that could definitely win. Rihanna's been really, really big at the moment. You know, she yes. just did the Super Bowl and, you know, this she's been away for, from the stage for about seven years. Black Panther Wakanda Forever was um, a popular movie and so this is definitely a win that could happen. I also wouldn't count out um, Hold My Hand from Top Gun Maverick, you know, it's, you know, in a Best Picture nominee. It's Lady Gaga. The reason I'm not predicting it is because I'm a little hesitant about, like, do they want to give her another Oscar right now? It's not impossible, and I don't think people should be shocked if she was able to pull this off. But I do have Not Too, Not Too winning, but I don't think it's a lock the way that a lot of other people think it is. Upgrade. Plus, it's also worth noting that the original Top Gun did prevail in this category back in 1986 for Take My Breath Away, so the franchise has already proven winner in this category. Which is another reason why I think it may be more of a possibility than people are giving it credit for. Again, I still have not to not to because, you know, it's hard to bet against a film that won both Critics' Choice and Golden Globes for Best Original Song, even though, granted, neither of those groups overlaps with the Academy, but still, it's a pretty good rule of thumb. Yeah. All right, now on to somewhat of an easier category, even though, well, not a lot, but somewhat easier. Best makeup and hairstyling. It's a battle of the fat suits here. I mean, the whale transforms Brendan Fraser into a 600-pound man, which it mostly succeeds in, while Elvis transforms Tom Hanks into Colonel Tom Parker, which it mostly fails in. Both films won in separate categories at the Makeup and Hairstyle Guild Awards, although at BAFTA, which is voted on by a majority of people who don't work in this field, Elvis prevailed, and, you know, that movie has show your makeup overall so it's probably a safe bet to predict here i have elvis winning this one i think um, if you really look at it elvis has won almost every single makeup prize this season at the baftas critics choice most of the makeup guild awards although the whale did win one of them but because of that i think that elvis has the edge here and you know keep in mind this is the whole body voting elvis had eight nominations total especially you know a lot of below the line nominations i have a feeling that it's going to win probably two or three um, below the line categories. And this is one of the ones that I'm actually feeling fairly confident it's going to win, actually. Well, yeah, again, show your makeup. You know, our boss at Gold Derby, Tom O'Neill, keeps saying, in order to win, you got to have the most of something. Like, the most makeup wins best makeup and hairstyling. So, makes sense. Also, another word in that category, hairstyling. You know, they got Elvis's haircut down to a T. Yeah, it worked more on the makeup designs for Elvis Presley, not so much for Tom Parker. No, 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 no. I mean, you know, the movie would have been much better without Tom Parker. <laughs> well, well, at least Tom Hanks in that part, you know. Yeah, th that's what I mean. Okay, now onto another category. I do currently have Elvis winning best costume design. Now, you know, because, you know, Elvis did just win the BAFTA, and this would be the fifth win for Catherine Martin after having previously won as production designer and costume designer on previous collaborations with her husband, Baz Lorman, on Moulin Rouge and The Great Gatsby. So if she wins here, it's another Oscar for her. And not her husband. <laughs> I have Elvis winning this one too. This is one of the ones where I'm not, you know, thinking too much about it. You know, the previous Black Panther movie won this category a few years ago, and I'm not sure that they're going to give it to, you know, the franchise again. I think that of the three categories that Babylon's up for, I think this is the category where it's the weakest, and then yeah. the other two are just kind of lucky to be there. It would be funny if Babylon were to win here, because of its three nominations, this is the one category where Damien Chazelle film hasn't prevailed yet, but it's not looking likely. No, I, I really don't think it's going to happen. And again, it's worth knowing that Black Panther Wakanda Forever did win the critics' choice in this category, but yeah, I agree. I lean more towards the BAFTA winner since that's an industry award. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I guess now onto an 
easier category for Babylon, Best Production Design. You know, despite not having a corresponding Best Picture nomination, Babylon has won the Critics' Choice and BAFTA, and I believe in Arts Directors Guild Award as well, but especially BAFTA because, you know, again, Industry Award voted on by people who don't work as production designers. And this would be the third film in the expansion era to win Best Production Design without a corresponding Best Picture nomination following Alice in Wonderland and The Great Gatsby. So, yeah, Babylon can absolutely win this category. I'm going to go out on a limb on this one, and I'm actually going to say that Catherine Martin wins both costume and production design. It's one of those categories where I'm just, I, I wanted to take a little bit of a chance. And, you know, there's a, you know, quite a history of, of costume design and production design going to the same movie. And so this is one where I think that um, there's a really good chance that it could happen. So it could very well be Babylon. So this is one category where I'm just going to go out on a limb. Well, not impossible. I wrote a piece for Gold Derby, you know, writing about, you know, if Babylon can really win despite it not having a corresponding Best Picture nomination. I mean, in Babylon's favor, not only does it have the precursor wins, but also, you know, recreates old Hollywood, just like a couple of recent winners in this category, such as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Mank. Exactly. And, and, and that's why, you know, it could definitely be Babylon. There's also definitely a big hatred for Babylon in general. I have not actually seen Babylon yet. I've kind of put that off given that it's not really a major contender this season and it's over three hours and my good friend Tarak Khan this was his words when he told me uh what he thought of the movie hot mess <laughs> I actually have seen the film myself and while I respected the ambition I'm still very indifferent on it as a whole although the production design was definitely one of the better aspects of it yeah definitely and again yeah i think it's definitely possible elvis can win but at the same time i guess i have to think about the pros outweighing the cons and well leaning more towards babylon outweighing the cons but we shall see okay now into some tougher below the line categories okay i'm gonna put two in a row here since they're often connected which are best film editing and best sound because okay every single editing winner since gravity in 2013 also won a sound award meanwhile every single editing winner since born ultimatum in 2007 at least had a corresponding sound nomination currently everything everywhere all at once is out front for best film editing i mean it won the bafta but it does not have a corresponding sound nomination and i guess maybe it would have gotten at least sound editing if we still had two separate sound categories but we only have one now so i'm pr currently predicting top gun maverick to win both film editing and sound how about you i think so too but i keep going back and forth on film editing for Top Gun, Everything Everywhere All At Once, because the editing in Everything Everywhere All At Once is just really extraordinary. It's an extraordinary achievement how they made all that work. Of course, Top Gun has to win something. And so, I mean, are they really going to give it just sound and nothing else? I'm kind of having doubts about that. And I should add on a sign, you know, Everything Everyone Wants is actually my personal winner for film editing, and I would be happy to see it win. But since we had only one sound category, which began two years ago, okay, Sound of Metal won both film editing and sound doing both film editing and sound as well which was especially remarkable for doom given that you know it did not win a single major precursor for film editing at all right and but i think that just goes to show you how strong dune was with the below the line voters in general we knew it was going to win a lot but it almost swept the below the line categories and i think you know it's film editing win was just one of those wins where you know to use the term it went along for the ride well yeah it should be interesting to see how dune part two will do in below the line categories next year but anyway back to this here yeah yeah it's pretty tough you know again i even said this in reply to brian rose tweets last night saying i'm sticking with this 
film editing sound combo stats until I see a break. So it's like yeah. what we say at the Emmys: keep predicting the person who's on a winning streak um, until they lose. Yeah, or even people sweep through an Oscar season. Yes. Absolutely. Again, film editing is tough. I mean, I can even see a world where Elvis is the film editing sound combo stat winner, which, love of God, please don't vote for Elvis in film editing. Yes. You know, one of the you know, issues I did have with it is that the editing got a little too crazy in the first half of that movie. I mean, but, but also keep in mind, Bohemian Rhapsody one film editing, which was also, you know, after it won both sound categories. And a lot of people had an issue with the editing in Bohemian Rhapsody, especially during the scene where they meet uh, their first manager, John Reed. Yeah, which, yeah, in fact, we should point out that Joe Walker, who won film editing last year for Dune, he actually threw shade at Bohemian Rhapsody's win in an interview once. Oh, really? Yeah. I, yeah, but I think that that was the win that people hated the most for Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, for me, it was actually sound editing, but that's another conversation. Ah, uh, gotcha. Well, again, not to repeat myself too much, but yeah, for now, I'm sticking with the film editing and sound combo stat until I see a break. Although in Fest Sound, you know, war movies tend to do well in those categories. Now, can you see a world where All Quiet on the Western Front wins Best Sound? Yes, I do think it is possible. And, and it won the BAFTAs. And so one of the things I'm going to mention when we get to another category is All Quiet on the Western front really overperforming with wins at the BAFTAs makes me think that it's going to get, you know, quite a few wins, you know, in addition to its inevitable win in one category, which we'll get to in a bit. But no, I, I can definitely see a world where All Quiet on the Western Front wins um, Best Sound, but I really just do not see Top Gun Maverick winning nothing. Yeah, same here. Although I just now watched Top Gun lose both sound and film editing, but win song. That would definitely be something. I guess let's move on to a category a lot of us thought Top Gun Maverick would easily win before it was snubbed for a nomination, and that's Best Cinematography. So, of the nominees, I have it going to the BAFTA winner, All Quiet on the Western Front. You know, war movies, you know, have a good track record in this category. You just, you know, ask Saving Private Ryan in 1917. So, is that where you are as well? Yes, I am. I'm, I'm there too. Although, I will say, I was recently on a panel on Gold Derby. Some of the people I was on a panel with were speculating about the possibility of Tar actually winning this category, which I'm not predicting, but based on their explanation, maybe they're onto something, but I think it's unlikely. So I'm just going to stick with All Quiet on the Western Front for this one. Well, yeah, especially since, well, I'm not sure if the cinematography and TAR is showy enough to win over a majority of voters who aren't as intimately familiar with the craft of cinematography. You know, it's kind of similar to how I was not one of those people who predicted Parasite for film editing in 2019, because, you know, if it was just editors, Maybe, but when it's more than just editors, I don't think so. I successfully called Ford v. Ferrari there. Although, we should bring up another possibility, and that is Elvis. Because, okay, it's shot by Mandy Walker, who's the third woman ever nominated for Best Cinematography. And there's a possibility she could become the first woman to ever win this category as well. But there's hurdles in that. One, well, the names aren't on the ballots. And two, Warner Brothers has done nothing to promote that possibility. Exactly. That sort of relies on how much the Academy loves the movie. If they really love it, then they're, they're going to probably check it off like in you know a lot of places. But as you mentioned, Warner Brothers isn't pushing that. And so I don't think this is one of the tech categories where we're going to see Elvis win. Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, not impossible, but I'm going to count on it. So yeah. And then um, the other two are completely out, even the one um, with Roger Deakins. Yeah, Empire of Lights. Well, yeah, Dan Bardo. Well, they're the only recognition for their film. So I don't see either of them winning. But hey, Felice Deakins now has two Oscars. 
Oh, absolutely. So I guess now on to the final below the line category, and it's another tough one. Best original score. Okay, so... This year, the major precursors for this category all went in different directions. The Golden Globe went to Babylon. Critics' Choice went to Tar, which didn't even receive an Oscar nomination because it was ruled ineligible by the Academy. Meanwhile, at BAFTA, the only group that has an overlap of voters with the American Academy, All Quiet on the Western Front, prevailed. So that's where I'm settled on for right now. Me too. I have that winning as well. Because I think, you know, as I mentioned just a couple minutes ago, I think that All Quiet is going to pop up in quite a few places overall. There's one category that it's inevitably going to win, but I do think that it is going to, you know, have two, maybe three other wins on Oscar night. I guess that's a good segue into the next category because I, as of now, have All Quiet on the Western Front winning three awards overall. And the third being Best International Feature Film. All Quiet on the Western Front literally lucked out by receiving nine nominations overall, including Best Picture. It has the highest profile out of all the nominees in this category because of that. I'd be shocked to see it lose at this point. You um, hit the nail on the head on every single point. Yes, this is one of the biggest locks of the night, and I don't think we need to say, really say any, anything more. Now on to another easy category, Best Animated Feature Film. Now, Disney may have dominated this category many times before, but it doesn't look like it'll happen again this year. With wins from the Golden Globes, Critics' Choice, BAFTA, and Producers Guild of America, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is the one to be. Yes, it's won absolutely everything. I know some people were a little bit concerned after it missed out on a lot of other categories at the Oscars that it could have easily gotten, but given that it's just won everything, and none of these other films in this category are nominated anywhere else, I think that Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is a lock. Yeah, so I guess moving on to Best Documentary Feature Film. Now, I do have Navalny winning. I mean, it's very relevant to the times we're living in, especially given what's been going on with Russia. And it already won the BAFTA and PGA, so it's looking good for the Oscar, in my opinion. Absolutely. I think um, Rob Curry was um, saying, was talking about that um, this could win, you know, as a, you know, a huge political statement, this moment that they may want to have on Oscar night. And so, yes, that's why I think it's it's going to win. All right. Now, on to the writing categories, especially, you know, as I mentioned earlier, at the time of this recording, WGA Awards are taking place later tonight. So we don't know what the results of them are right now. We'll see if they prove to be any easier. But OK, best original screenplay. Martin McDonough has won the gold. Golden Globe and BAFTA for writing The Banshees of Inishirin. Meanwhile, Critics' Choice went to Everything Everywhere all at once. Now, at WGA, Banshees isn't eligible there. If Everything Everywhere all at once wins, well, we won't know if it still would have won if Banshees was in contention, because again, the latter film not eligible there. Everything Everywhere all at once is the most original movie out of all the nominees, and originality is usually key to win here with recent champs like her in 2013, Get Out in 2017, and Promising Young Woman in 2020, although sometimes the more original film movies is out like the favorites falling short to green bug in 2018 and belfast beating licorice pizza last year so where do you stand this is one of the ones i'm having the hardest time predicting you know basically for all the reasons that you listed everything everywhere all once is the most original of this category but given that's like virtually guaranteed to win another big um category outside best picture that we're going to talk about in a bit. I do wonder if they may throw Martin McDonough, you know, a consolation prize. Because the one thing about Banshee Sharon that makes it so great is the incredibly well-written dialogue. It is a very dialogue-driven movie. It's sort of like Green Book in that, you know, it's a very writerly type movie that relies heavily on its well-written dialogue. 
I'm going back and forth on this, and I'm probably going to be going back and forth on this um, until Oscar night. But as of this recording, I'm going to go with the Banshees of Sharon. The Banshees got, you know, pretty much every nomination that it could possibly get. And so it's definitely very popular within the Academy. I really do not see it going home empty-handed. And I do think that this is one place where they can definitely give it a win. I am predicting it for one other category, but um, I do think that it's a very popular movie and I don't see it winning nothing. And I think this could be a very good place to award it, especially if they're going to give the Daniels another big category. We shall see. I mean, uh, well, as of now, I have everything everywhere all at once winning. I mean, I'm predicting that movie to do pretty well on Oscar night. As I mentioned, they go back and forth as to award the most original movie or not. But while you do make good points about the Daniels possibly being taken care of another category, thank God I can just see them winning in every single category they're nominated in, like Inuritsu for Birdman or Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. Yes, because sometimes they really love a movie, they go all out for it. What I'm curious with Everything Everywhere is like, are they going to go all out for the movie? Where they can give it, you know, some big wins, but then maybe go in another direction for some other big categories. We'll see. I mean, since the number of Best Picture nominees expanded in 2009, well, we haven't had like a big sweep in the way, you know, films like Titanic, Lord of the Rings, Street Turner, The King, or Slumdog Millionaire did in their respective years. I mean, sure. I mean, The Hurt Locker did win six, but you no, know, that's not as big of a sweep as, you know, the other films I mentioned. But at the same time, you no, know, we haven't had a Best Picture winner win more than four awards since The Artist back in 2011. Yeah, you're right. That, that's something else I need to keep in mind. All right, now on to Best Adapted Screenplay. Okay, so Women Talking already has a win from critics' choice to back it up, yet the film really underperformed the nominations throughout this whole season. I mean, it was especially completely shut out at BAFTA, where All Quiet's on the Western Front won Best Adapted Screenplay in its absence. And the Academy only gave Women Talking two bids overall, with Best Picture being the other category it showed up in. So at least has that going into the night for in regards to its chances of winning here. We need to see if it can win WGA, because if it loses, then that's not looking good, because then women won't be talking, which is kind of opposite to what Mark Wahlberg said at SAG last week. <laughs> yeah, I still have women talking winning this. Um, I'm not, like, super, super confident about it, but it is the most writerly movie of this lineup. Um, I think the two we can rule out are Living and Glass Onion, given that they don't have a Best Picture nomination and winning, you know, without a Best Picture nomination in this category is very, very rare. Stacey Henry, a new freelance writer for Gold Derby, wrote an article about the five reasons why she thinks Women Talking still wins. And one of the things that she mentioned was that, you know, sequels and remakes, you know, really like rarely win this category. And so when she wrote about that, that's one I was like, you know what? That's the main reason I think to stay with women talking in this category. But as you mentioned, if it loses WGA, that's really bad. But I think it's going to win. And I think that Sarah Polly will win on Oscar night. And also she's a previous nominee in this category for um, Away From Her. So she is, you know, not necessarily, you know, a new face to the Academy. This is one that, you know, it's very, very possible All Quiet could win. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Top Gun could win this. But I think um, given the history and everything, and given that with those two movies, All Quiet and Top Gun, even though they didn't get direct nominations you think more about the directing with that movie than about the writing and so that's why i think with women talking as i said it's a very dialogue driven movie that's why i think it's gonna win here women talking really did get the bare minimum to you know still be competitive in this category oh yes on to the four acting categories starting with what is probably the easiest one to predict this year best supporting actor 
Now, Ki Hoi Kwan started out as a child actor with prominent roles in 1984's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and 1985's The Goonies, yet as he got older, Kwan stopped acting due to lack of opportunities in the United States, so he went on to become a stunt coordinator and production assistant. Though following the success of 2018's Crazy Rich Asians, Kwan was inspired to return to acting and came back in a big way with his role in Everything Everywhere All at Once. He's already won prizes from the Golden Globes, Critics' Choice, and Screen Actors Guild, his only hiccup was at BAFTA, which went to Perry Keoghan for the Manchies of Nishirn, but nonetheless, I'd still expect Quan to take the Oscar. He's got this. This, As you said, this is the safest of the four acting categories, and Barry Keoghan won at BAFTA, but I really think that that was, you know, no disrespect to him, but I think that, that was a fluke. And I think that, you know, given that Quan has won every single other prize this season, you know, not just, you know, the major industry awards, but he swept the critics too, and so I think he's got this. Oh yeah, I agree. Now on to an harder acting category, Best Supporting Actress. So when the Fablements premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival back in September, everyone was singing their praises for Michelle Williams's performance. Thus, Oscar buffs and experts immediately slotted her to number one in their predictions for this category. Yet shortly thereafter, Universal announced that she was going to be campaigned as lead, where she ended up getting nominated. Then predicting the winner here became a real head scratcher. I mean, throughout the season, Angela Bassett won the Golden Globe and Critics' Choice for Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. That led to many predictors into thinking the veteran actress was going to win her very first Oscar after many years in the business. Then Carrie Condon won the BAFTA for Banshees, followed by Jamie Lee Curtis winning SEC for Everything Everywhere All Twice. So as of now, I am settled on Carrie Condon, but I know that could change. Me too. Um, and the reason why I'm predicting Carrie Condon is I said this on my original Goldery Slugfest, but actually in favor of Angela Bassett. Now keep in mind, this was before BAFTA and SAG. But sometimes when a category looks competitive, you have to look closely at how the category lined up. You know, I made the case that for Angela Bassett, the category lined up very well, but now um, that Carrie Condon and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis have won major precursors and now they're major threats to win, I sort of had to do a little bit of a reassessment of this category. The reason why I'm predicting Carrie Condon is because I think um, the SAG winner, Jamie Lee Curtis, has two things, major things working against her. She has a co-star in this category and it's a co-star that many people preferred to Jamie Lee Curtis. I very recently re-watched Everything Everywhere All at Once. And one of the things that I really observed when watching it is, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis really kind of owns, or not owns, but she really kind of eats up the scenery in the first half of the movie. Then she's gone for quite a while. But, and then Stephanie Zhu really, really steals the show in a big way in that second half. So I think they cancel each other out. And I think Angela Bassett takes away a lot of votes from Jamie Lee Curtis as well. Because, you know, I think a lot of people in the Academy, especially actors, there's probably going to be some people who are going to think, this is our time to give Angela Bassett an Oscar. And you're going to have another group of voters that are going to be like, no, this is our chance to give Jamie Lee Curtis an Oscar. I think that splits the vote and that allows Carrie Condon to prevail. And keep in mind, Carrie Condon is the only non-American in this category. Yeah, because even Stephanie Shu and Hong Chao, while they're both of Asian descent, while they're Asian Americans. Yes. And so Harry Condon being the only non-American in this category, it's sort of like the apple in a bag of oranges. And it's sort of similar to when Marissa Tomei won when she was the only American up against three Brits and one Australian. And the other thing that I mentioned earlier, the Banshee Savannah Sharon got every single nomination it needed. All four of the key actors got in. It's clear that this movie is very, very popular within the Academy. I really think that it's going to win something big, maybe even more than one big award. And I think that Carrie Condon is in with a very big chance, especially given that 
she steals every scene she's in. She was oh. a revelation in this movie. You know, I really don't see myself changing this prediction. Uh, but I do think Jamie Lee Curtis could definitely win after we saw her prevail at SAG and she is an icon. But I also don't think Angela Bassett is completely out of the running. I think, you know, I think her chances have kind of faded in the last few weeks, but I don't think that she's an impossibility. After all, Regina King won Golden Globe and Critics' Choice for If Girl Street Could Talk, wasn't nominated by SAG nor BAFTA, her film underperformed the nominations, yet she still won the Oscar. But the SAG thing was that the committee didn't get the screeners for Beale Street in time. Well, that's a little of a different situation. You could almost say maybe it's a good thing for Angela Bassett that it was two different people that won at BAFTA and SAG and it wasn't the same person. You could honestly make that case. And Wakanda Forever, it got this nomination, but it got four um, additional tech nominations. So she has the support of a lot of her peers, but she could also um, have the, the support of, you know, enough people in the tech branch to pull it off. I think it's unlikely, but it is not an impossibility. Now on to Best Actor, where people follow on Twitter knows we have complete opposite opinions of who we feel should be winning, but, you know, that's not even the point. It's all in good fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When The Whale had its world premiere at the Venice Film Festival back in September, it received a six-minute standing ovation. There was especially a ton of excitement for Brendan Fraser's transformative performance as a reclusive English teacher with morbid obesity who tries to restore his relationship with his teenage daughter. Plus... Frazier himself was someone who was very prolific back in the 1990s and 2000s, but stepped away from the spotlight for a while. Everyone from audiences to people in the industry were very happy to welcome him back and are rooting for him to succeed. However, comeback narratives rarely ever result in Oscar wins. I mean, just ask Judy Garland in A Star is Born, Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler, Michael Keaton for Birdman, and Sylvester Stallone in Creed. Although there are exceptions, such as Frank Sinatra for From Here to Eternity and Renee Zellweger for Judy, as probably cursed that even Fraser's character in The Mummy would have a hard time solving. And not to mention that, The Whale missing the cover best picture is another hurdle he has to overcome. I mean, Jeff Bridges in Crazy Hearts back in 2009 is the last winner in this category whose film didn't have a corresponding best picture nomination. Meanwhile, Austin Butler has done well with the more international awards groups by winning the Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Motion Picture Drama and BAFTA for his Elvis Presley impersonation. And it's interesting because, you know, I for a while mentioned on social media how I doubt he was going to even get nominated due to his film being an early release, as well as the Academy's reluctance to recognizing young men around his age. But no, Elvis has done much better than I guess you would have expected. But okay, if you look at my predictions, I currently have... Frazier at number one, but it's kind of as a placeholder because I can easily see myself switching Dustin Butler in the end. Yes. So this is quite the conversation to have uh, with this category. It's one where you kind of have to really weigh the pros and cons. Uh, in fact, something I didn't mention, Frazier does have, you know, major precursor wins such as Critics' Choice and SAG. And another interesting factor is kind of opposite of what happens between Sean Penn and Mickey Rourke in 2008, where Rourke won the more international awards from Golden Globes and BAFTA, while Sean Penn won the Critics' Choice and SAG. So It's quite interesting. And also um, one other thing that uh, we have to bring up, um, Elvis got eight nominations, including Best picture milk got eight nominations including best picture the wrestler only got the two nominations back then for mercy tomei and uh, mickey rourke and um, maybe i would have gotten a third for song if there had been more than three nominees that year yeah i'm very surprised that bruce springsteen uh missed for that song but that's that's beside the point i have austin butler winning as you know you alluded to earlier i do think he should win but putting my you know personal preferences aside the whale is a very polarizing movie and I feel like, you know, when you have a set 10 and you miss Best Picture, 
that's really bad. And then you also, it's not just that, adapted screenplay. It was a very weak field. It should have very easily gotten in. Yeah, and um, some people were worried if it was going to win, depending on what happens with women talking. And thank goodness it didn't, because I think the writing's one of the weaker parts of that movie. But that's beside the point. There's one other film that missed those two categories, and people were like, oh, you know, that that doesn't mean anything. You know, the narrative's going to carry this person to the top. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And we all just thought, you know what, Chadwick's probably still going to win. Whatever, you know, bad reception, you know, the Academy might have had to the film, it's not going to affect Chadwick Boseman. That's exactly what I've been hearing people say this year. Like, oh, that's not going to hurt Brendan Fraser. Of course it's going to hurt Brendan Fraser, because it's a movie that a lot of people don't like. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that Elvis is beloved, but there's not like this passionate hatred for it the way there it is for the whale. We've seen that Elvis did very well with, you know, getting Best Picture, you know, the lead actor, and a lot of text. And one of the things that people have to keep in mind, the whole body votes for the winner. And when it's very tight, you know, whether it be Olivia Coleman versus Glenn Close, Sean Penn versus Mickey Rourke, Anthony Hopkins versus Chadwick Boseman, just to name a few examples, those races look tight. The people that prevailed were in the film that did better with the Academy. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think Austin Butler's going to win. He's going to get some votes, you know, from, you know, the people that love the physical transformation to a real life person, but he's also going to get votes from a lot of those people below the line. And Brandon Fraser is definitely going to get a lot of support from his actors, but are the costume designers, production designers, producers, directors, screenwriters, are they going to go for him? I really have a hard time seeing that yeah although to be fair actors branch is the largest branch of the academy so it is, it is but clayton davis said the tech branch makes up basically the other 64 percent. but i think there's one other name that we should talk about colin farrell and here's why now what if just what if because it's it's a genuine debate about what's the greater transformation transforming into a music icon or transforming into a 600 pound man you're going to find people on both sides of that debate, and there's a plausible case to be made for both. What if that vote splits and the popularity of the band she's going to share in, and given how popular he is, Colin Farrell pulls off his prize? Mm -hmm. I honestly do not think it's out of the realm of possibility. And Tarek Khan, my good friend, is one of three people who is currently predicting him to win. He has an article coming out at the time of this recording. We're recording this on Sunday. He has an article on Gold Derby coming out tomorrow where he's going to talk more in depth about it. I've talked to him about this and it is kind of like, wow, no, this could happen. And I think Bill Nye and Paul Mescal, the nomination is their prize. I agree. Like, their, their films are not going to be widely seen or prioritized, you know, by voters. But no, it's a three-way race, but just given, you know, how th things have kind of lined up, you know, how a film performed... You know, who's one, you know, the important precursors. I think Butler's going to pull it off in the end. I think I'm like 60% confident. And Brandon Fraser's not impossible. It's just there are way too many things working against him objectively that it's like I can't in a good mind predict him when people like Glenn Close and Chadwick Boseman had stronger narratives. And even going way back, Lauren Bacall, they had str much stronger narratives than Brandon Fraser and they still lost.
Yeah. So I think Brendan Fraser is actually kind of in a worse position than people like Glenn Close and Chadwick Boseman. Well, yeah. In fact, if SAG took place before BAFTA this year, I probably would lean a little more towards Butler. I mean, granted, BAFTA has probably greater overlap in terms of winners than SAG does. But at the same time, you know, SAG was the last major precursor for, you know, actors to give their campaign this season. So that's that can be real interesting to see how it pans out. But the next category we're going to talk about, that's actually where I think SAG kind of changed things, purely objectively. Yeah. And the other thing I'm going to, last thing I mentioned, I know I've kind of talked a lot about this category, but I do think this is one of the categories where, you know, it's like, you know, creates, you know, one of the biggest conversations this season. BAFTA is like the Oscars, where it's like the whole body votes. And we saw Elvis and uh, The Whale perform pretty much the same with nominations as they did at the Oscars. Both films, I think, uh, yeah, they got one less nomination than they got at BAFTA. But for Elvis, it was because um, it had one category that it didn't have at the Oscars, which is casting. And The Whale missed adapted screenplay at the Oscars when it got there. And we saw, given how both films performed, Butler won over Fraser. And so that's why I think... He has the edge at the Oscars. Especially impressive that Butler man should beat Colin Farrell, who a lot of us thought would be a more BAFTA-friendly option there. Exactly. I was really talking about this with a lot of my friends. I think that was a very big deal that Butler won with that group, because I think that they are by far the most snobbish uh, group of the three major precursors, the Globes, SAG, and BAFTA. So the fact that he won there, I think, is a major sign of strength of the support that he has. All right. But yeah. Razor can win, and I do not think we should be sleeping on Colin Farrell. I still think that there is a world where he could pull it off in the end. I guess now I'm moving on to best actress. Okay, this is a category where whatever Josh Palm is predicting, I will follow. He hasn't gotten best actress wrong in a while. He was not one of those people who switched away from Jessica Chastain in the eyes of Tammy Faye to Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers last year, even though he was tempted to. He called Olivia Coleman winning for the favorites over the overdue Glenn Close for The Wife in 2018. And most impressively, he called Frances McDormand <coughs> winning for Nomadland in 2020, where the best actress race that year was so up in the air. I mean, at this point, I'm just gonna make the same prediction here as Parm until he eventually gets it wrong. And so looking at his predictions now, he has Michelle Yeoh in first place. Okay, she has so far won the Golden Globe for Best Actress in Motion Picture Comedy Musical, while Kate Blanchett won in Drama. Blanchett also won Critics' Choice and BAFTA, though at SAG, where the two went head-to-head, Yeoh came out on top over Blanchett. I think this is the toughest acting category to predict on Oscar night. Because I literally think you can make an excellent case for the both of them. I had Michelle Yeoh for a while, then I switched to Kate Blanchett, and now I've switched back to Michelle Yeoh. And I really was thinking very long and hard about this. Everything Everywhere All Once. If it's really a movie that's going to be this big and it's going to win a lot of the biggest awards, how do you look past the centerpiece of the movie? That is one thing that I was really thinking about. And the other thing, and I mentioned this in my Slugfest, you know, when you have a popular actress like Michelle Yeoh, who's been doing this for a very long time. This is her very first nomination. This is their chance to give her an Oscar. The idea of giving Kate Blanchett her third might feel a little weird for Uh, some Academy members. Well, then again, they still gave Frances McDormand a third in this category over Viola Davis and Andrew Day, despite the fact that both of them had potential to become the first African-American woman to win Best Actress since Halle Berry. But that was a more fractured race because one of the other names you didn't mention was Carrie Mulligan. All four, Davis, Day, 
McDormand, Mulligan, they had won one of the major precursors. And then Vince Kirby was the only one that didn't have a chance. And so in a tight race, you really kind of had to look at it like, okay, Viola Davis and Andrew Day are both playing famous singers in period pieces that are centered around show business. They kind of divided their support. It's very possible Vanessa Kirby actually did better um, in the vote tally than we originally anticipated. She probably pulled away enough votes from Carrie Mulligan for McDormand to squeak it out. And McDormand was the apple in the bag of oranges. So it wasn't like, you know, people were so excited, like, oh my God, we got to get France McDormand her third. It just kind of happened that way. And so, but this is a completely different situation. I mean, Kate Blanchett, you know, could um, has won the Golden Globe on the drama side, Critics' Choice, BAFTA, and the top three major critics' awards. It is very possible, and Tar overperformed expectations by getting those editing and cinematography nominations. That's the case we made for Kate Blanchett. But here's the other thing that I do think we have to talk about, about why I'm thinking Kate Blanchett's going to fall short in the end. The Academy loves fun, evil characters. They do not like chilly characters like Lydia Tar. That's one thing. And if you think about the Emmys, like why uh, Laura Linney never won for Ozark, why Sarah Snoop is probably going to go zero for three for Succession, why Yvonne Strahovski has never won for The Handmaid's Tale, or Lena Haiti never won for Game of Thrones. It's the same thing. People, unfortunately, especially, you know, older men, don't like voting for that type of character. That's why I think it's going to be very tight between the, the two of them. I think the other three, Andrea Riseborough, Michelle Williams, and Andre Armas, I think they are. there's going to be a huge, you know, gap between whoever the runner-up is and those three. I think, you know, they're way out front and really thinking about it, I think that Michelle Yeoh is going to eke it out over Kate Blanchett. Well, I currently have Blanchett winning right now. I mean, it's probably ideally the only place Tar could realistically win, although then again, this could be like 2013 where Captain Phillips, Nebraska, Wolf of Wall Street American also all did well nominations, yet the Academy couldn't find a place to award either of them. And that is another great point for Kate Blanchett is that there's a lot that they can give everything ever all at once. This is really like the one plausible place. I did mention cinematography earlier, but that was just something that the you know, other people on my panel were thinking, not really me. But I do think that if Tar is popular enough, this could be the one place. But yeah, I really do feel this is the hardest of the acting categories to call. Yeah, I can definitely see it. Plus, if Blanchard were to win, then she pretty much won an Oscar every nine years. And yes, that would be one hell of a coincidence. So I'm going Michelle Yeoh, but I am not as confident as other people are. But it does kind of feel like the tides are really turning in her favor. Yes. Well, again, you know, what I mentioned earlier, you know, if SAG took place before BAFTA this year and had the same results, well, I wonder how different the conversation would be. Absolutely. But um, I also think it's, you know, I know SAG was the last precursor to happen, but also I have to mention SAG going four for four is rare and it almost doesn't happen two years in a row. So I do think that we are going to get, you know, some people who want SAG and some people who want it BAFTA. I don't think that, you know, one's going to go four for four. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Now on to the last two categories, which are easier. Okay, Best Director. Early on this season, it looked like Steven Spielberg was easily going to win his third Best Director Oscar for The Fablemans, a movie loosely inspired by his aspirations to become a filmmaker when he was a kid. He won the Golden Globe, but Critics' Choice, and more importantly, DJ went to Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I mean, six years after their feature directorial debut with Swiss Army Man, which was about a farting corpse, they got even more attention everywhere this time around for the singular vision of their follow-up about a Chinese immigrant who explores multiple universes. 
Yes. And I think that unfortunately for Steven Spielberg, he won the Golden Globe, but I just feel like him and the Fablemans, sadly, because I love the movie personally, whatever momentum they had coming out of the Golden Globes, it's completely gone. I think the Daniels wing, you know, the critics' choice was, you know, a big sign. DGI, I think, completely wrapped it up. And the one thing is that, you know, the Academy usually goes for the most innovative work when awarding this category. That's why the Daniels... I think are way more um, secure to win this than original screenplay. Agreed. And plus, they're likely about to become the third directing duo in history to win Oscars in this category, following Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins for the first West Side Story in 1961, and the Coen brothers for No Country for Old Men in 2007. Yes. And so I really don't think that this is one that, you know, we have to think too much about. I don't think that Spielberg is going to be able to catch up, you know, in in this one. But I I think he's going to win one in the future. I did think there was a strong possibility to be this year, but that's completely changed. I think the Daniels have this in the back. Now onto the final category, Best Picture. About a year ago, everyone was expecting Damien Chazelle's Babylon, Sam Mendes' Empire of Light, and Floyd Zeller's The Sun to be major contenders this season before anyone even saw them. Meanwhile, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon was as well before it got delayed to next season. So here we are. And we know it's going to be everything, everywhere, all at once. I know some people are, you know, saying like, what about the preferential ballot? Well, I mean, one at one PGA, which uses a preferential ballot. But here's the other thing. There is no obvious number two in this category at all. And so if everything ever all at once was going to fall short on a preferential ballot, there had to be a strong alternative the way Moonlight was the only real alternative to La La Land a few years ago, and the way that Coda was really the only alternative to The Power of the Dog. This year, there is not that, you know, we have no idea what's in second for Best Picture, and that only helps everything everywhere all at once. I really don't see it losing at this point. It's on fire. It's showing no signs of weakness at all. BAFTA was really the only exception, but I think it's got it. Well, yeah, I mean, when Everything Everywhere All at Once came out almost a year ago at this point, I don't think anyone could have predicted that it would become such a major awards contender. Not only came out in March, but it's also not typically in the Academy's wheelhouse. Therefore, people had skepticism for a while as to whether or not older voters would find the film too weird to rank its high on their ballots. Then again, a lot of people were saying the same thing about Birdman in 2014 and The Shape of Water in 2017 before they both went on to win Best Picture. Exactly, and I I can't believe that people kind of forget about that and because yeah i was kind of skeptical about the shape of water winning best picture for that reason you know it's like are the older members gonna love a movie about a woman who falls in love with a fish man but lo and behold they did and plus you know everything everywhere all at once fits the mold of a majority of best picture winners since 2008 where the film came from a director who previously never even had a movie nominee in that category before which i brought up when we were recapping last year after coda won Exactly. So we don't have to think too much about this. It's going to be everything everywhere all at once. It's got it. The the one that I was wondering about at one point was Top Gun Maverick, you know, given that I I mentioned um, in that select fest, it's like, who's going to rank it like towards the bottom of their ballot? Probably not many. You know, if it couldn't win PGA, then for me, that's the death nail on, you know, that possibility. Oh, yes. Although I will say if Banshees ends up doing just as well as you're currently predicting, then I guess people refer to that as the runner up, kind of like how people refer to the father as the likely runner up to Nomadland two years ago, given how it performed that night. I personally, if I had to just take a guess, I would say that the Banshees and Sharon is the one in second, but 
I just don't think that there's you know a lot going for it to win in that category. Although I think it's popular enough to win in some other categories. Anyway, I think that just about does it for our predictions for the winners of this year's Oscars. So thanks again for joining me today, Jack. My absolute pleasure. Always fun to do this. Hopefully we'll be back next week to recap the winners. So for those listening who'd like to keep up with your work, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Jack Mahanes. You can find me on Instagram just under my name as well. Find me on Facebook under my name. And now you can find me on Gold Derby. I am a freelance writer now for Gold Derby. And the reason why I've participated in two slugfests today is because I have written four articles for um, Gold Derby that are on the site. So you can find me um, there as well. And I am now officially a freelance writer for Gold Derby. Well, yes. And you've already written flashback articles regarding Jessica Chastain, Olivia Coleman, and Frances McDormand. So it should be interesting to see if any of this year's ones you'll be writing about. Definitely. And I could definitely see myself writing about, you know, probably any of the ones that were, you know, more erased. And that that was the one thing that people should know why I chose to write about those wins was because they were races where they fluctuated throughout the season. So for those listening, hopefully, well, you enjoyed listening to us discuss predictions and we'll see how you all do. Good luck to you all and good luck to you, Jack. Absolutely. Take care and bye bye for now. If you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash podcast and follow the simple instructions. Feel free to subscribe to wherever you get this podcast. If you'd like to find more content from me, please visit my website, which is www.carereviews.net. You can also find it on Twitter at carereviews and me at Jeffrey Care. Thanks for listening, and I will see you all later.